I have to uh, clarify one thing that PJ said earlier. She said like that we've had no regrets. I'm not sure that's exactly true because uh, last night I was kind of grumbling a little bit and reminded that uh, March is winter in Minnesota. So there's no early spring. There's no such thing. And so as my wife said, suck it up, baby, and get out there. And so said something about a free workout, but uh, you know me, that's not something I really want to do. So... But uh, no, it is good. We have not had regrets being here. We are thankful for that and been reminded that we actually drove out. And uh, this was the first Sunday that I actually preached in March um, once we had said yes. And so March 10th, so we're right around that same time. So it's been a good, sweet reminder. And um, as you guys know, and PJ said, you asked for it, you got it. So, so the calling was, was on both of our parts, so. Anyways, back to 1 Samuel before I get into trouble. As you know, we've been studying Samuel, the person of Samuel, and um, though he's not the most important person in the Scripture, right? Who is the most important person? Who are we really looking towards? God. Man, this is such a great group. Man, it makes it easy, right? God's always that answer, right? God is always faithful even when we're not faithful. And Samuel is interesting because even though... Samuel started off on a kind of a rough beginning in many ways, you know. Um, his mother had trouble even having children. And then she makes this commitment and God provides and gives her a son. And she ends up turning him over and vowing to give him over to the temple. And again, we know that Eli and his sons were not good. If you've been with us, we've been working through that. But God has this way of using imperfect people. And we see that over and over again. And God takes what looks like a normal situation and kind of flips it upside down. He's good at that, right? He, he's good at shaking us up, but yet he wants us to follow him first. And that's always the theme, right? And we talked a little bit about that, about keeping things in priority, right? Keeping God first, and then our relationships with others second, and not letting idols become in the way, right? That was always the cry. That was Israel's problem, if you want to say it, among many, which can be our problem as well, is we tend to put things ahead of God or our relationship with God, and that gets in the way. Ezra and I have not worked this out yet with him and I yet as far as who gets to talk first, so, but he'll grow into it, so, but uh, we'll spend our time this afternoon. But Samuel is that, that person that we see that, that wrestles with that as well because we know that as his sons got older, they weren't ready to take over either, right? His sons were perverting justice, were no better than Eli's son in many ways. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at the nation of Israel said, hey, we want a king. You know what the reason was? Why did they want a king? Yeah, exactly. So they could be like other nations. And again, that's not Israel's call, is it? Israel was never to be like the other nations. You know, PJ and I didn't work it out, but that ambassador for Christ is the same thing. It's the same calling we have on our own lives, right? We're not to be like everyone else. She kind of hit a tough subject, though. Reconciliation, right? With relationships and forgiveness. And um, I've termed that kind of works with reconciliation, but walking in forgiveness. A lot of times we can forgive right away and we can, can say we forgive and we, we truly do forgive, but then what happens after that? 
In fact, I had someone just a, a couple of weeks ago ask me that very question. I, I know I forgave them, but I, every time I think of this person, I just get turned up inside. My emotions get there, and as though I'm right back there again. Did I not forgive them? And it's not the forgiveness part, it's the reconciliation part that's still being worked out. Again, that's another whole message for another time, but it is part of that same thing. And God trying to reconcile his people unto himself is the story here in Samuel. So they asked for a king. Was Samuel happy about them asking for a king? No. No, right? Samuel was in charge. Samuel was uh, the judge, the prophet, the spiritual leader. He was, he was the one that was leading. And things were going pretty good. And so Samuel was not happy that they were asking for a king. And we see that interaction between him and God. And God actually rebukes him a little bit and says, no, give them what they're asking for. Give them a king. And then last week, if you were with us, we were chasing donkeys. No, we weren't chasing them, right? Who was chasing donkeys? Saul, right? Saul's going to be the next king. Saul's the one that's chasing after donkeys. This is what gets him out of his area. God already had preordained that he was going to be the next king. He had let Samuel know. And they finally, in the midst of chasing donkeys, they come to get the right. And Samuel, last week, he gave him the place of honor. He gave him the, the choice meat. He gave him his direction. He let Saul know, you are going to be the next king. So last week we were chasing donkeys. This week, the title of the message is Chasing After God. Samuel is going to get Saul prepared to be king. It's an interesting thing here. This is a, a new position, right? Israel's not had a king before, and so this is the first one. And so they're kind of stumbling through this process a little bit. It's not, it's not known. It's not, this is not the normal. And so with anything like that, when you do something different, there's a learning curve or there's some time that needs to take place. And so we're going to see this as a transition. In fact, we won't even get through the whole transition today. That comes up in the next chapter, which will be taking a little bit of a break uh, around Easter time, but we will get to the next chapter uh, in two weeks. So, but we saw Samuel prepare Saul, and now we're going to see Saul take the next step, and then there's going to be a sequence after that until Saul actually firmly becomes the king. There's a transition in power, and so that's where we pick it up this morning. Chapter 10, we're going to go back just a little bit. I, I kind of give you the teaser each week. This week we will stop right at the chapter because there's a, a gap in between. But chapter 10, verse 1. Samuel took a flask of oil, olive oil, and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you, ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zerah on border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found. Glad those donkeys, man, they found them. That was, a big, that was the big crisis of the day. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son? Again, we looked at that a little bit last week, but Samuel has now really, he's anointed. Saul is it. And it's a, a significant moment, really, because it's the old generation passing on to the new generation. It's that, that next step. And he's letting Saul know, hey, this is what's going to happen in fact, I'm going to even give you a little bit more. I'm going to give you what's going to happen next in detail. 
It's one of the things you have to understand about the, the prophets of old, especially, is when they gave prophecy, they would also they would give a near future prophecy. And that way that gave them credibility when they talked about things that weren't going to happen in their lifetime. You see that over and over again. And if if that first prophecy doesn't come true by the law, they should be stoned. They were considered a false prophet, taken out of the city gates and stoned to death. So it was serious business when, when these predictions are made that things are, are just as they said they were. And it's amazing here the details that you see in that. We kind of lose track of that, but prophets were weighed and tested. They weren't just something that, oh, I'm a prophet today, tomorrow I'm something else, right? Or, or hey, if I get this sort of right. Or in generalities, Right? used to liken it to horoscopes. You know, if you ever read horoscopes, and I'm not subscribing that you do, but if you look at horoscopes, they're about a mile wide, and you can make almost any situation kind of fit into it and say, oh, yeah, it predicted my day. It's so general, it's pretty hard to, to see that. But here, it's very detailed. Verse 3, it says, Then you will go on from there until you reach a great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel. They will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another two loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. Again, very detailed, very much step by step. Again, Samuel is trying to help Saul realize his position. He's given him, hey, here's what's going to happen next. Here's what's going to happen even after that. God is going to be with you. The, the symbolic of this is God's going to be with you every step of the way. Sometimes we, I think we, we forget, too, that, that Saul has no idea what he's stepping into. He has no clue. He has nothing to go by. He's a young man, and he's stepping into being the king, and he doesn't even know what that means. It's, it's not like there's any example for him to follow, really. Even the example of other nations, they wouldn't know exactly what's going on there. So that wouldn't be a possibility either. So he's really stepping out into uncharted waters. And Samuel's trying to help him, saying, hey, God's going to be with you. I'm going to lead you along the way. Verse 5. It says, after that you will go to town. You will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy in, with them, and, that will, and you will be changed into a different person. What Samuel is saying is, you're going to encounter God for most likely the very first time. He's going to have an experience that, like none other. And Samuel's telling him, hey, this is what's going to happen. I think Samuel, in some ways, is trying to help Saul realize that, hey, this is God's plan for you in your life now. And so he's setting him up for that and saying, if you follow God, God's going to take care of you. God's going to lead. Can I tell you, as a leader and as a king, that would be really reassuring. I know as a pastor, it's really assuring that when I know that God's got things that I have no control over. Learned that very early on in ministry. There are many things that are way out of my control. I mean, this morning, I wouldn't have set up so many chairs if I had known we were going to have a light Sunday this week. No. No, because we're going to need them for next week, and that's fine. But really, 
right? How many times do we step into something? You know, we talked earlier about stepping here and coming to Minnesota. We didn't know all the steps. We didn't know a lot of you. We didn't know weekend, but it was operated. We didn't know the, the community around us. Yes, we were there for a weekend, but it was pretty short. Uh, Ryan and Bryce, I think we had a few chats, and, and Brandon as well on Zoom or one of those. I don't know if it was Zoom. It was, might have been Skype even back then. I'm not sure. But Skype, it was Skype, yeah. Right. Either way, you didn't look any, any better. So, <laughs> But we, we had a few conversations, but really it, it came down to coming, and then there was a lot of faith, right? A lot of faith on your part and a lot of faith on PJ and I's part. It was even before Rachel was here. So there was that, from our standpoint, there was no family here at the time. And so, again, taking that step. And Samuel's trying to help Saul kind of speed that up a little bit and say, hey, God is going to take care of you. And so he has this encounter. He, it happens just the way Samuel says, right? Verse 7 kind of typifies, and I, I even underline this, it says, once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds you to do, for God is with you. Man, if you can't hold on to anything else or get anything else out of this morning's message, be reminded that God is with you. Right? Quite often we lose sight of that. We, we, we think God's not there. We've, we've, he, somehow he's forgotten about us. We see over and over again in the scripture, right? God's not the one that goes away, is it? Who's the one that leaves God? Yeah, we do. Jonah tried that. Many have tried that. Many have tried to run from God. If you were with us a couple weeks ago in James, it even talked about if we go near, God draws nearer to us. He's literally waiting right there to, to reestablish that relationship with us. So God is with you as a believer. He's there. He's waiting for that relationship to go deeper, and you just need to trust him with that. Verse 8 says, Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. It's a tough assignment in many ways, right? You got to go on ahead, and then you got to wait. Now, when I was a young person, and even today at times, I have trouble waiting, right? I get very impatient, right? I, I want to know what the next step is, and I want to kind of keep going, right? I don't want to, want to have to wait, but he's saying, hey, you're going to have this experience, and now you're going to go ahead, and then you're going to have to wait. What does waiting produce quite often when we wait for something? Anxiety can, right? It's a negative side, but it can have anxiety, but also kind of can help us process, huh? Patience, right? But we can process, right? We can process a little bit, right? This is, this is, this is a guy who's chasing donkeys, and all of a sudden he's been told he's going to be the next king. He needs to process all this. He's had these experiences that he's never had before, and everyone's telling him he's going to be the guy, but he's got to process a little bit. That's a lot to handle, information overload, and he needs to process it. So I think part of the seven days was for him just to, to, to grapple and to grasp what was going to happen to him next. And so Samuel gives him that, and he says, hey, I'm going to come. And you notice Samuel's emphasis, right? I love this part, too. Samuel continually focusing on God. On this point, that's all he's talked about, right? God's going to be with you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sacrifice. We're going to worship God. 
God is the one who's going to help you be the king that you've been called to be. Verse 9, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servants arrived at Gilgal, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in the prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw, that, saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to this son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? Right? People saw the difference. Like, that's not the same guy that we saw chasing after the donkeys, is it? It's different. Remember, he had the stature, right? He was taller, and he stood out in a crowd, but now he's doing things that he normally doesn't do, things that he's never done before. In fact, he's even hanging with, I like the, the picture, he's hanging with a group of people that he's not used to hanging out with, right? He's hanging out with a spiritual group now. This is a new group. This is a, a new thing. And the prophets and the, the, the group of them is kind of interesting as well because Samuel talks about them, but whether Samuel was in charge of them or not, or at least he knew of them, we're not sure. But quite often in Scripture, we see where there were groups of prophets. In fact, in Elisha, they, they talk about a, a school of prophets. Right? They would teach them and raise them up and help them formulate God's word. Again, it was always God's word to the nations, most of the time to Israel. But we see a change, right? Saul's heart has changed now. Again, that passing over, the next step. Verse 12 says, A man who lived there answered, And who is his father? So it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when he saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Right? So he has this, this side conversation, if, if you will. It's kind of a, we, there's some time that's lapsed here, and, and Saul is on his way back. Right? He's on his way back to his dad. And he runs into his uncle, who probably has a large area that he's in charge of, and he says, hey, where you been? Right? It's, big families would quite often do that, right? You keep, keep an eye on your family members, and, and, and you see someone that you, you know, no, don't normally see, and you say, hey, where have you been? And Saul's answer is kind of interesting. I was out looking for donkeys, right? right? But I, we didn't find them, so we went to Samuel. Now, obviously, the uncle here in verse 15, we know, knows who Samuel is. Because he says, tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys have been found. But, this is a key but here, but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. We see that Saul's not quite there yet, right? Now, he's had this great revelation, he's had this spiritual high, and he's, he's had all this happen to him, yet he's still focusing on, or at least to his uncle, about the donkeys. He's still stuck, right? He's still not revealing what Samuel really said to him. 
kind of a, a tell that's going to be happening here, and, and it's actually a foreshadowing of Saul's reign as king, right? At times he does really well spiritually, and then at other times he ends up falling back into his flesh and his own self, and he gets caught up in the day-to-day. Does that sound familiar, or does that happen to any of us? Yeah, right? Sometimes we forget that very thing. As I was reading this this week and thinking about it a little bit, how many times do I take credit for things that God has done? That was the thought that came to me when I was studying this, and I had to repent and confess that sin, because sometimes I take credit for things that God's done. And so it's a reminder for us, right? The whole story here is God was doing a great work in Saul. Verse 17, Samuel summoned the people of Israel. Again, remember the story breaks out, right? There's two things happening. Saul's over here in one area, and Samuel's back over here in another area, and they're doing things together at the same time, but they're apart physically, but they're both in the same, they're both carrying on with their mission. And so Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah, and they said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all of the kingdoms that oppressed you. But, another key but here, you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint a king over us. So now, Samuel, yourself before the Lord by your tribes and your clans. So Samuel's preparing them now, right? Samuel is preparing the tribes. He's preparing the nation of Israel to actually receive their king. Samuel knows the king, and he's reminded them, hey, you asked for this, right? And interesting, he uses that Egypt, right? He uses that as the example, right? When they were in captivity, they had a king, right? Pharaoh was over them. I think there's a little, little dig with this in, in many ways, and he's kind of kind of jabbing them a little bit. And, and I may be wrong. I may be reading into it, but there may be a little jab here, right? Hey, you, you had a king over you, right? But he was pretty harsh. He was pretty cruel, right? And you, you ran from that. You got out of it. Now you want to go back and have a, another king, a different king. And I'm sure they're hoping for a different result, but that doesn't always work. Just by the tone of the language, right? I don't know that Samuel's quite over the fact that they're they want a king over him. I think he's still wrestling with that. But he says to them, so no, appoint us a king, right? And remember, the reason was to be like the other nations. So they, they want a king. They want, they've asked for one. And now Samuel is starting the process. He's already started. And now he's working on the people. And he's saying, hey, bring the clans in, right? The 12 tribes, come to me. Because that's where the king is going to come from, from one of you. It's interesting. Samuel's doing all this work. Yet he already knows the outcome. I always find that amazing when I read it and think, man, that had to be hard for him not to, to squeak that out somewhere or just uh, to kind of like, well, let's just fast track this. Let's not bother with this. But look what takes place next. He says, then Samuel, verse 20, he says, then Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribe. The tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Right? What that means is they, they drew lots and they, they basically, it was by I'm going to say by chance, and put that in quotations, by chance, but it just so happened to be the tribe of Benjamin is the one that gets chosen, right? It was a one in 12 chance. Lo and behold, as they were doing this, and they worked through the process, and they, they come up, and there's the tribe. 
huh, lo and behold, right, it's the tribe of Benjamin, which is also the tribe that Saul is from, right? So then they brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matra's clan was taken. Finally, Saul's son of Kish was taken. Again, by chance, right? Step by step by step. Remember, tribes are big. There, there's lots of people. There may have been as much as you know, 500,000 to 600,000 people in these tribes. Even Benjamin being a small tribe still would have been a lot of people at this point. So to keep narrowing it down all the way down to this one family now, right? pretty amazing if it was all by chance. Again, we're reading it, and we know that God has already ordained who it's to be, but he's working it down for them, for the people to see. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come yet? Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes. He has hidden himself among the supplies. I love how Scripture puts these things in, right? Now Saul's already been anointed. Saul already knows, and the tribes are there. And where is Saul? Hanging out back with the luggage, basically, or he's hanging out with the supplies, right? He's holding the, probably holding some donkeys, right? That's where he's, he's not where the tribe is. He's not where they're at. He's in the back somewhere. It'd be like here, if we were having someone come forward for something today, and they're out in the parking lot. They're, you can't see them. They're nowhere around. It's like, what happened to them? Are they even, even here? And so Saul's not even in this part of the process. He's back out by the supplies, Right? He would be out on the outskirts at best, not even within sight. Verse 23. So they ran and they brought him out, and all the people, among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one, there is no one like him among all the people. Again, his, for some reason his height comes into the play here. Again, he's taller, his statue. Funny, I just walked in as well, but right, you, 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 right, you notice things like that. You notice when someone is stands out in a crowd or is taller than everyone around you, and the people recognize right away. Hey, this is him, right? You notice that thing, and the people recognize him right away just by his stature. In fact, they even claim there's no one like him among the people, right? He's obviously very much standing out in. This is going to be their king. The people shall long live the king. Harkens to my English background, my old English, right? Long live the king. Right? They, they would be the chant, right, among the, the warriors and among the, 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 when there was a great victory in battle, they would cheer on the king, right? Long live the king. Or the queen, if you're old English. But now that we're back to a king, so. Verse 25. Samuel explained to the people the rights and the duties of the kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go on to their own homes. Remember what I said, right? They, they don't have any job description. They don't know what a king even is supposed to look like. Samuel says, all right, if we're going to have a king, let's at least give him some tools to work with here. Let's give him something to get started with. And so... Give him what his rights are, his duties. Help him in this new job. 
Bryce just stepped out, but Bryce just started a new job, and I know he didn't get a good, clear job description. And at his job, it was kind of a open-ended, right? Pastors quite often get that same thing, right? It's an open-ended job description. Some just say D, all the above, and whatever else is needed, and that can qualify as well. But Samuel is trying to help Saul here, and he's giving him this list of things to do. And again, Samuel's character and everything we've seen up to this point, we know that it's filled, if not completely, of the spiritual side, right? Samuel is in charge of the spirituality of the nation of Israel, and he's trying to help them. Even though he thinks they've made a bad choice, he's saying, hey, God's still with you. Let's do this right. Let's, let me set this up for you. You wouldn't have Saul write his own job description. So Samuel's trying to help him. He's passing that torch. Again, told you, it's going to be a process. It takes time for this all to unfold till Saul actually becomes king. Remember, too, that he's still a young man. So he's not earned the respect of the people yet. He doesn't have the wisdom. He's really just beginning his next career. Lastly, here, as we wrap up chapter 10, verse 26 through the end, it says, Saul also went to his home in Gilbreth, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. If you're reading this chapter, you might read through that really quick, but there's a lot that says in those couple of verses right? God has surrounded him with some valiant men. He's given him a group of advisors is really what is is in the scriptures here. All different ages. I'm thankful here as pastor that I have a good group of elders, right? People that speak into me. I also have other pastors in the area and they speak into me and I have CMA and they speak in, right? The, The more that group of godly people around you the better advice you get, the, the more help you get, the more security in that. They're holding back to God. And so keep from getting too far out of bounds or off the tracks, right? Pointing you back to God. And so God's given him already at an early age, right from the beginning, a group of, again, it says valiant men, but wise men, um, depending on the translation. But they're people that are going to stick with him. He's going to be safe with these guys. He can share what's going on. He can trust them, and that's key. But like in any situation, right, not everybody is on board. In fact, the, the language is even interesting here. You know, a bunch of scoundrels, scoundrels. I don't even, we don't even use that word today, but uh, a bunch of scoundrels. What, people that are against you, right, but they're, they're not just against you, but they're probably going to be working against you, right? They might already be looking for the next king, right? Maybe it's from another tribe, and they said, hey, how come not us, right? Don't think for a minute that, that, that the other tribes didn't want to have the king from, come from their tribe. Because again, if they're looking at the other nations, this could bring a lot of wealth in, they could have a lot of favor, they'd have a lot of say, right? So there's 11 other tribes that didn't make it. And even within the tribe of Benjamin, there are a lot of families that didn't make it. Again, Saul was probably not the first choice of a lot of them. You have this other group, right? And so, like with anything, you have some 
some disunity right from the beginning. But don't miss it here. Again, the, the custom of the day, or the custom among the other nations was that you brought the king gifts, right? You wanted to find favor, but you also wanted to, to help that relationship. You were saying, hey, all right, we are going to accept you as king. And so they would bring him gifts, but those who despised him obviously didn't bring him gifts. This would be a, a high insult, right? This would be, be saying, no, we don't want you. Right? We want somebody else. That last sentence is key here because it's going to show you at least where Saul starts off. But Saul kept silent. Good leaders know when to keep quiet, right? Sometimes you have to let an offense go, right? Sometimes you, it's not the, the timing's not the right time to pick your battle, right? Saul at least has enough wisdom <clears throat> or at least enough sense at this point to say, you know what, I'm not going to pick this fight early on. And he keeps silent. <clears throat> he lets it go, right? He, he, t- he lets the offense go by the boards. I'm sure he's aware of the, the potential. I'm sure the, 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 the other guys let him know. But the fact that he, he let it go and just said, you know what? Not today. And we'll see that. That's actually a thread through Saul. If you study Saul, when we get done with Samuel, if you go on and study Saul, <clears throat> you'll see that from time to time, Saul does get it. And he lets some things go. Right? Other times he doesn't. He, he gets insulted and he takes it too far. But he, when he let, keeps silent, he actually does much better. So a good leader sometimes knows when to keep silent or to let the offense go by. Well, there we have it. Chapter 10 this morning. We, we're, we're working our way through. I promise you by the end of April we will be done with Samuel, so at least the study of Samuel. We won't be all the way through all the chapters and all the verses, but uh, hopefully there are some things that you take away from this this morning. My number one question is, who are you chasing? Who are you chasing? I'm sure we, no one here would say that we're chasing after donkeys this morning, but we might be chasing something that's foolish. Who or what are we chasing? And are we chasing after God? Right? The other part of this here in keeping with this is, are you humble? Are you humble? And then lastly, kind of piggybacking off what PJ and also what Samuel's pointing to here, but are you different? Are you an ambassador of Christ? Are you different? Will people see you differently tomorrow? Today we're among believers, family, right? We, we kind of look all the same for the most part as believers, but how will you look when you leave here? Will you look different? So that's the call or the drive for all of us as believers to be good ambassadors. And so I'm going to pray that God gives us that opportunity this week to be that. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for each and every person that's here, Lord, and I thank you for our time together. And Lord, I just ask that throughout this week that you would just remind us, remind us in those situations of those things that we need to do. Lord, may we not forget that you are always near us, that you are right there, that you are with us. 
Lord, also remind us that we are called to be an ambassador for you and that, Lord, that we don't take that lightly, that we represent you well in all situations. And Lord, just help us this week to be the men and the women that you've called us to be. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.